Hi folks, welcome to the Arabian Horse Connection, the official podcast of the Arabian Horse Association. Tune in every other week as we discuss industry trends, news, and all things Arabian horses. We are here to honor the versatility, heritage, and future of the Arabian horse, connecting you to this legendary breed. I'm your host, Katie Feitner. Join me as we delve into the world of Arabian horses. Jane Haven is the executive director of Taking the Reins, a nonprofit organization dedicated to growing the confidence of girls through their equestrian and gardening program. Jane grew up in Western Colorado, finding herself attending Cal Poly Pomona because of her love of horses. But her passion truly lies in horses and youth, as she is heavily involved in youth programming in AHA's Region 2, as well as a member of the local level committee at AHA. On this episode, Jane shares the details about the Taking the Reins program and how it has benefited and will continue to benefit the Los Angeles community. We speak about the power of horses and how they teach us confidence and kindness. Their presence is truly life-changing. Listen in and learn more about Taking the Reins as well as Jane Haven. Yeah, I grew up in Colorado, so in Grand Junction. We had an Arabian horse breeding farm there years ago, uh, Desert Hills Arabians for... Okay. My family's had Arabians for over 60 years. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and that's where we were located. My brother became a professional trainer for a number of years and um, did all of that. And I came out here and... um, to California, when I went to college, I went to Cal Poly Pomona because I had got an offered uh, an, an opportunity to ride for the school, which I did for the first two years that I was uh, at Cal Poly. And then I changed my major and became a clinical psychologist. Oh, wow. <laughs> and stayed in Los Angeles um, for many years. I had a clinical practice and worked in a, a number of different settings as a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's such a, that's such a cool transition from uh, going from horses to, to uh, psychology. Well, I really realized that what I loved about the horses was animal behavior. Sure. And, you know, the most interesting animal behavior of all is the human animal and mm-hmm. our behavior. And so I don't know, it just kind of really, that's where my real interest was at turned out, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and I think I recognized too, that I just wasn't going to make the best professional trainer. <laughs> uh, it was, I don't know, you know, that's a, uh, that's a real, I'm more social and, mm-hmm. um, and as athletic as I was, uh, when I really hit something that was not an easy fix, um, it challenged me athletically and physically. And sure. my brother made a much better trainer than I ever would have. You grew up grew up with Arabian horses and then went to school, did did horses at school, and then transitioned into psychology. So how did you take that and become what was your story of becoming executive director of taking the reins? How did that start? Well, um I had I had been a donor of Taking the Reins. Taking the Reins has been around 23 years. And I had been a donor um, while I was a psychologist. And I... I liked the, I liked the idea of it. Um, they, the, the program was founded by two women that uh, really wanted to just expose um, 
underserved communities of girls uh, to horses. Both of these women started riding horses uh, in their 40s and uh, just felt like, boy, if they had had horses when they were children growing up, they would have um, been ahead of the curve that they lived in life in terms of feeling more empowered and mm. a stronger voice and, you know, a lot of different things. So they started and they started with uh, four stalls and a facility that's right next door to our property uh, where they had a couple of horses that they used and then they used one of the stalls as an office. And so that was kind of the beginning of it. Uh, in 2008, and that's kind of when I became a little bit more involved as a donor, uh, they decided to make a move. The board um, had decided to make a move and try to, and buy a piece of property that was right next to the facility, the paddock riding club that they were renting space at. And so they put a very large mortgage on about mm, two and a half acres and uh, which in the middle of Los Angeles is not an insignificant amount of free land. And it had a 1928 to 1935 barn. It had been built in two different sections. So it still is one of the oldest. I think it is the oldest still standing stable in Los Angeles. Wow. And so I had donated. Um, in 2008, when they made that move, I think um, at that point, you know, I was a mom and um, and my daughter um, was very involved. Well, my son and I trail rode all the time and my daughter was very involved with horses. When when my kids were born, I just my brother gave me a horse. that was the last foal of our stallion that we grew up with. And um, she was sort of very green, <laughs> but she had a very sweet personality. And so I went ahead and finished her out after about 20 years of not riding. So that was wow. a challenge. <laughs> and then um, got a little horse for my son and he and I trail rode a lot and then started my daughter when she was four, um, just riding around with me with that mare. Mm -hmm. uh, my daughter's now 26 and um, has shown all over the U.S. and Canada and we're usually at Scottsdale this time of year, but we don't have any horses going this year. And with COVID and yeah. my daughter's married and she has a two-year-old. And oh, wow. So, you know, we're sitting this year out. Yeah. Uh, 2021 was a good year, I guess, if you have to sit it out to sit it sure. out. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they had a mortgage on that property. And so I kind of stayed involved. And then a number of different things happened um, with the founders. They sort of parted their ways. Uh, and then the founder that was sort of running the organization really wanted to retire. And um, I think, honestly, she had never run a facility. You know, mm -hmm. it's very different being a boarder where they take care of feeding your horses, cleaning the stalls, you know, doing everything. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden she was in charge of a facility. So I, a friend of mine was on the board and knew my background in horses and asked me if I would come on the board. And then when they decided to go ahead and look for an executive director to kind of navigate what direction the agency was going, I decided to throw my hat in the ring because mm -hmm. I had retired from my clinical practice uh, two years prior. And um, so I did, and I got hired. Uh, so my first goal when I came in as executive director was to retire all of the lame old horses that they had. One of them died during this transition. Um, and to start replacing them with horses that 
the agency as a nonprofit didn't buy. I decided right there, and it was a it, it proved to be a really wonderful decision to reach out to many of my friends and my friends are in the Arabian horse industry and to see if they would loan us a horse to use in our lesson program. And that when we had trouble taking care of the horse, that they would chip in and provide any extraordinary vet expense or extraordinary, um, you know, special feed or medication expense that what we could provide was, Hey, and basic trimming. And if the horse needed more than that, initially when they first came in, well, I got a couple of great horses and I donated a couple of my own horses too. Um, not donated, but uh, they're on, they're on long-term leases. So this model of people donating or people loaning us their horses on a, on a lease mm-hmm. um, really was great. And I think that you, the one thing I'm very proud of is I think that um, people would say that their horses have received outstanding care uh, at TTR. I mean, we have people that come to our nonprofit and they're like, I've never seen a group of horses like this. (laughs) These are like the most beautiful horses. And we do have a warm blood and we have two quarter horses and we have, um, but like one of our quarter horses was on, is on loan to us from the Redmond family. Uh, Anna Redman. Uh, it was one of their reigning horses. And now we have him. Okay. Um, I have Highland Pride's horses. Uh, I have um, three or four horses trained by Cynthia Berkman. Uh, oh, very cool. Our clients, because we are part of the Berkman barn. For years, until he passed this last year, we had um, Benedict, Kaylee Fortune's horse, 21-time national champion in three different divisions. Wow. So I have, um, you know, we had a Wendy Potts horse here until he retired and went home. So we've had um, top trainers in our industry uh, with top horses. Uh, Most of them have been a reserve or a national champion at least once uh, or more. Uh, Of our quarter horses, I have two champion reigning horses. One of them was a $600,000 winner. the other one was a youth rainer and did very well from the Redmonds. Our hunter jumper mare was an equitation warm blood. So she did three foot jumps and lower, but really taught kids was steady enough to be a good ec horse. Um, so that's our group. You know, I don't think wow. I have one horse in our group that hasn't been a top 10 or better. <laughs> wow. That is so cool. It's also really speaks to the power of the equine community and how, when someone, you know, is in need or needs something, people really come together and, and pitch in and help. And, um, really it's uh, special. The equine community is very special. I feel. It is. And, you know, it was a win, win, win. It's a win for the horse. Uh, it's a win for the owner that they've got their retiree in a, in a great place and and being well cared for and still having an important job. And um, is it on their on their feed bill every month, you know? Right. Yeah. And it's a win for our kids um, because a lot of people come in and say, Oh, do you have rescue horses too? And it's, you know, I made a very intentional decision not to have rescues. We're not a rescue organization. Mm -hmm. We are a youth development organization. 
and and that's a clear distinction with taking the reins. We are not a um, therapeutic program. We're not a disability program. We're not a recovery program. We're not a rescue program. We are a youth development STEAM-based educational program, meaning science, engineering, technology, and and, uh, math program. And you think, how does STEAM work here? We teach the mechanics of confirmation. It's geometry. When you've got a neck that sits on a shoulder like this, what kind of an angle is that? What does that mean in terms of collection? What does that mean in terms of shoulder movement? Mm -hmm. Sure. How would you relate that to your geometry class that you're doing? I mean, we have that kind of language all the time at Taking the Reins. It's a real complete educational experience. Um, and, And that grew over years. You know, when I started seven years ago, Uh, There were 79 kids. And once they came, they could stay there until they left. We changed that model up and I went to a six week model and I chose six weeks because as a clinical psychologist, any kind of short term therapy program and any kind of educational program, six weeks or even grief you know, a loss. Six weeks for the human being is a time of learning, assimilating, and mastering at a certain level and being able to show what you've mastered. There's something about that time. So I I made our program a six-week time, and uh, we started reaching out to Title I schools. Our schools that serve the most underserved economic communities in Los Angeles, they have the free lunch programs, they Mm -hmm. have a lot of different things. And we really made a a decision in our mission to serve um, underserved girls. Mm -hmm. Um, We were started as a gender specific program. And I've never tried to change that. Mm -hmm. And an a program that reached out to inner city and underserved um, communities. Mm -hmm. Um, That was very important to me. It was for years. And now this year, it finally kind of like became a popular thing, but Mm -hmm. diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, That has been my life. My family is a very diverse family. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just really have always wanted the Arabian horse industry, but the entire horse industry to go back to what it was centuries ago, years ago, uh, which was a community of people that lived in rural America and had a horse in their backyard. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to give kids that couldn't afford that, that kind of an experience with horses. Uh, it, they shouldn't then be banned from ever knowing a horse. Mm-hmm. Um, so that really appealed to me about this program that it had a, a mission to bring in and make more equitable and inclusive the equine experience. And um, today, 85% of our girls live in families that make less than 26,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, we, which puts them below the poverty line. Mm-hmm. Um of our kids come from minority populations, um, Hispanic, Black, biracial. Mm -hmm. Um, 
recent immigrants. We have a lot of, um, I love this, Muslim girls uh, that are here as recent immigrants in a girl empowerment organization, which I love. Uh, we have, um, you know, we're, we're an exceptionally diverse community. And one of the great things about horses is horses level the playing field, you know, mm-hmm. and all of that just melts away because you've got, you, you and I are going to be partners with dance and we've got to get dances wraps on and we've got to get them out to the arena and we've got to, and we've got to work well together mm-hmm. as a team. Um, and that team may be an 11 year old and an 18 year old or a 17 year old. It might be uh, an African-American girl and an Asian girl, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think our most extreme diversity one year was we had uh, an Orthodox Jewish family and an Orthodox Muslim family in the same class. <laughs> oh, that's so it was awesome. Wonderful. Because those two girls wore dresses with leggings underneath their dresses and um, they fell in love with horses, you know? Mm-hmm. So we serve in that six week model mm-hmm. um, after school kids, Monday through Friday, actually Tuesday through Friday, we take Mondays off like a lot of training parents. And then Saturday and Sunday, we become open to every girl in Los Angeles. Oh. So that does mean if you've got your $200,000 hunter jumper over at the equestrian center mm-hmm. and your mom drives you up in a Range Rover, but you really want to be part of our horticulture class or our judging team, which six times has competed at U.S. Nationals in Tulsa, you can be in our weekend programming. So our weekends become economically diverse also. Our equestrian and our urban farming program, because we have a quarter of an acre garden Oh, wow. And kids learn everything about planting, harvesting, and eating. It's a planting, harvest, and taste. Wow. So they spend, we'll have on the weekends, one group of kids maybe doing three hours in the barn with their horses. Mm -hmm. Then all kids have a lunch break together. And the other group of kids were in the garden all morning. Then they come over in the afternoon to the horses and the morning horse people go over to the garden people. And then in the meantime, we have a group of little miniature horses and we have um, usually about eight to 10, eight, eight to 10 year olds uh, that just work with our minis and also learn about gardening and butterfly propagation and our chickens and our goats and our rabbits and our all of that. Oh, that is so cool. Really quite an urban farm. Yeah, that happens to have 13 horses in our equestrian program and three minis. Um, So that's that ends up being about 410 girls uh, throughout the year. And some kids only come for six weeks and then they finished. Mostly that's our after school kids. Mm-hmm. We have about 120 that come into our weekend programs. And once you've come through an after school program, you can move into the after school a weekend program if you want. And then we rotate that every six weeks. And you have you have one six weeks that you may not be riding, but you're going to be in our hippology class. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can join the judging team. You may now be an expert enough writer that you become a volunteer assistant in the barn and and then a mentor. And then if you 
really are doing well at mentoring, you get to lead, design the lesson plan and teach a class of groundwork and design a lesson plan and teach a class of writing. Wow. And when you pass that, we will recommend you for a job next door at that equestrian center as a camp counselor, Mm -hmm. uh, as a, and I'll tell you, we have one young lady now that's at UC Santa Cruz, but she worked there her entire um, high school. So wow. from ninth grade through 12th grade, got to $15 an hour, paid wow. one half of her and her mother's one room apartment all through high school. Wow. Herself a car to go to college in. Wow. Um, on her horse skills. That is amazing. Made her first year at UC Santa Cruz, the equestrian team, only minority girl on that team. Wow. And um, now is in her starting her fourth year at Santa Cruz. Wow. And still on the equestrian team. Oh, my gosh. That is so I I really love the whole program sounds amazing, but I really love um, and it touches on what you said earlier. It's not just an equestrian program. I mean, you're you are teaching these girls life skills that they will have forever and ever and ever and will help them throughout their life in whatever job they choose. And they, I feel like too, once you, you know, graduate from the program, there's always going to be a spot for you or you'll, you'll always be able to come back in a sense, you know, 100%. We did this last year. We did a, a yearbook. We started out not knowing it was going to be COVID in 2020. So we have a, you know, we have a junior board uh, and kids learn how to be board uh, members of a nonprofit. They wow. learn nonprofit management. Um, we're, we're a very complete community, but we had a, a yearbook committee, just like in high school. They decided that they wanted to reach out to past alumni. And, mm-hmm. and the only thing that they reached out with is, please tell us where you are now. And it was really neat. We had about 30 young women that contacted us from 1998. Wow. All the way through to last year. Wow. So it was really neat to see um, what, where they were and what they were doing and um, all of that. So it was, our pillars are really about teamwork, confidence, responsibility, and leadership. Mm-hmm. And every child coming through our program, if they stay longer than their six-week time, has a chance to work on that as a specific goal Mm -hmm. and be given a certificate of achievement in that. And again, they have to do that before they can become a volunteer and a mentor. And, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's a step program of progression and achievement. Um, But I think that said, those pillars, horses are so good at teaching, um, even our logo is a girl leading a horse leadership. Mm-hmm. You know yourself that if you're hesitant, you look around or you don't, you don't lead that horse. They're going to stop in a minute and eat the weeds on the ground. They're going to, you know, of course, yeah. and that lesson of pick your head up, put your shoulders back and walk forward mm-hmm. and lead this horse translates into so many things in life when you say whoa it means stop 
say it in a way that the horse understands stop. Because mm-hmm. all of our horses know how to stop. They've all been to school longer than you've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> and then we talk about, you know what? That's the same as when you say no. Mm. When you say no, you're saying stop. Mm-hmm. And you need to say no to people mm-hmm. when, when it's right to say it. Mm-hmm. Exactly like you just said, whoa, to a horse. Mm-hmm. You need to say it so that they get it. Yeah. So we do a lot of that kind of work. That um, the correlation between horses and, you know, who you're going to encounter in the real world and the confidence that horses give you is um, it's really profound. And, you know, when I was a kid and I started, you know, just riding lessons, I horses teach you so much more than what you think that you're learning. You, I mean, it just translate in translates into your outlook on life, your attitude teaches you responsibility and how you're teaching, you know, these girls, you know, translating like the example of, whoa, means no. I mean, that's such a great way to teach just being able to be confident in how you interact with people through horses. Right. Absolutely. You're right. And, you know, it's it seems so intuitive and experientially known by people that have been around horses. That is a concept that is very hard to communicate to people that don't know anything about horses. Mm -hmm. They don't they don't really get it. Mm -hmm. And that's been one of our challenges in terms of uh, fundraising you know, and donorship. I mean, I, I've literally had people say to me, okay, so you want me to donate so that girls can go around in a circle and take a lesson on a horse? Right. Yeah. So much more than that. Right. (laughs) And I've had board members that when we've been through tough economic times, their first go-to place is, well, we need to get rid of the horses. Hmm. Well, we're in a question program and we're that by intention, Mm -hmm. because it teaches something that no other kind of program teaches like this. I was a psychologist for 32 years. I worked in youth and education. I have never, and I said that to my colleagues the first few years that I was at TDR, I have never seen the kind of growth and emotional intelligence and resolution of anxiety issues, grief issues, shyness issues come about so quickly and so completely as they have in this program, not in my office as a therapist, Mm -hmm. not in working with the school counselor, not in family therapy. Um, We literally have had kids come in and cry and shake out of anxiety over just touching a rabbit or a chicken. It's funny. Sometimes it kind of, it kind of goes back to when we go back to our roots as people and interact with the resources around us, the healing powers that those have just naturally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I grew up on a farm. I mean, you know, I'm reliving my childhood now (laughs) (laughs) because I grew up on a farm. Uh, a ranch in Colorado with every animal that we've got at TTR in my life and more. 
And so I love having the opportunity of bringing that experience to these girls that um, one so appreciate it mm-hmm. because it really truly is when, when you literally you're now stuck in zoom education, sharing the one computer your family owns mm-hmm. with your three siblings trying to do school after you come home from the seamstress factory, because your parents didn't have childcare. Mm-hmm. So you had to go sit there and then come home and mm-hmm. study your recorded Zoom recording. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you, being at TTR is like the biggest gift. These are kids that never go to a summer camp outside of the city, mm-hmm. never have the privileges of all those kinds of life experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, But they're having this life experience, and it is transforming Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a transformative experience. Yeah, I, I can relate and I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying with, you know, you know, horses and, and understanding and you really develop a feel and you can, I feel like with horses, especially you, you know, cause they can't talk back to you and you really have to be in tune with body language, different signs that you wouldn't necessarily have to be as in tune with if you're just speaking to another person. And that really helps translate into, you know, interpersonal relationships, like you were saying, and things like that. Right. Um, I did want to ask, though, I know that um, I was perusing through your guys's website. Um, and I know that you just did a haven't you have a new barn or just renovated or I kind of wanted to learn more about what what you have in store for the future of taking the reins. Oh, sure. Thank you for asking. Uh, it's been a it's been a big uh Big, exciting deal for us. You know, I mentioned that when I took over taking the reins, we were in a 1928 to 36 barn and we started a capital campaign. The final payment, the final $20,000 donation came from an Arabian horse person. Oh, awesome. Which was very, very cool. Um, So then we began the process of our capital campaign. It's a $1.3 million Uh, facility improvement campaign. Uh, We're about 63% of the way. uh, And we've done it intentionally in stages so that we could function while we were still developing. Uh, I had a good friend that was an architect that donated his design for us. And, you know, building in the city of Los Angeles is challenging. Um, They just have so many rules and regulations. But what we did was we built a 6,000 square foot. uh, We call it a shade structure. But what it really is, is it's a covered arena structure, um, the metal roof. Uh, We were the first covered arena structure built in Los Angeles in over 20 years. Wow. Uh, The LAPD had built one like 26 years ago. We're the first new barn in the city of Los Angeles in oh. about 14 years. Wow. Uh, in terms of new stalls put in. Mm-hmm. So I am very proud of that because in this time of declining equestrian participation, I really think that the United States is at risk of losing our equine history and culture. Mm-hmm. And certainly in urban areas, we're at risk of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up building uh, our 15 stalls underneath the 6,000 square foot structure. We're in the middle of Los Angeles. We're 10 minutes by surface streets from the center of downtown Los Angeles. Oh my gosh. Wow. We're directly across from Griffith Park, which is like our central park with over 50 miles of horse trails still remaining in Griffith Park, surrounded by about three, the Los Angeles Equestrian Center, the paddock riding community, and a couple of other very small barns. And that's Mm -hmm. it left in Los Angeles. This used to be a huge horse area. Um, There's still a well over um, 2,000 horses in the city of Los Angeles in boarding facilities. Anyway, we took on at the same time a challenge to the city to create the area that we're in into a legal rancho to return it to its rancho status. Oh, cool. With a K overlay, meaning that you don't have to ask permission to have horses. It is a right given by residential, by residing in that area or being in that area. And we won. Wow. Two year battle. We won. That was very important to me. If I was going to start on a million three barn build, I didn't want, housing for homeless to take us over in three years by eminent domain. Mm -hmm. Now it can't. Mm -hmm. We pretty much came as close as we can possibly come to guaranteeing this being an equestrian area into perpetuity. Wow. That was meaningful because now we're going to build a million three equestrian facility for girls to use in the city of Los Angeles into perpetuity and Mm -hmm. we're going to be protected. So we started that. And so today we have our roof and our building. Now we just got our um, plan approval to go on with our office and education center, which will be a 1600 square foot rectangle underneath the roof. So it's, it's a really cool design. It's all open on all the sides. And then we sit kind of centered in it. And, um, right now we're, we're just really heavily into our last $500,000 that we need to raise to finish up our, um, driveway. We have all the infrastructure done, uh, all of our grading, our arena, very good arena that we completed two years ago with good footing. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're, we're looking for a $500,000 capital campaign raise. And almost all of that has to come from individual donors. Um, Mm -hmm. We get a lot of funding from foundations and from institutional uh, grants. And I would say that right now about half of our 800,000 spent so far is um, has come from horse owners, predominantly Arabian horse owners. Wow. Cause they understand they get our mission. They yeah. get the importance. Yeah. Uh, and they know what it takes to house an animal safely. Mm-hmm. You know? So where can, um, I definitely did want to ask about um where people can donate to taking the reins on your website or not, if not on the website, where, where can they go in and help? Well, our, our website is a really great place. Uh, if you go on our website, uh, right on the very front page, it has a, a bar, you know, if you'd like to donate, 
Um, and up at the top bar, I think it has support TTR. It takes you to our donor page. Mm-hmm. And um, like all technology, sometimes you have to enter your credit card or, you know, whatever, a couple of times. But um, you can donate there. But you can also find out how to contact me directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't want to, if, you know, hopefully you want to make a larger donation than a credit card donation. <laughs> um, and and I would be happy to talk to you, uh, let you know what being a donor affords you. Uh, we are mm-hmm. a 501c3. It is a tax donation. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year would be a really, really great year to donate in case those tax donation laws might change. Um, mm-hmm. So this is, you know, you still get that credit. Um, and hopefully you will in the in the coming years, too. Um and I would love to talk to anybody that would like to become uh, a participant in supporting taking the reins. And if building a building isn't your thing and you just want to donate to kids and or horses, you know, it's it's pretty much uh, a couple of thousand dollars a year to support and sponsor a horse. <laughs> it's um you know, $1600 gives six kids six weeks wow of riding instruction. No child is turned away for lack of funds. 80% of our kids are there on full financial support. Wow. Um, so, you know, if, if, if that's your thing and we can go all the way down to buying food for a rabbit for a month, which is $20. So. Many ways to help. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, awesome. definitely. Well, I wanted to open it up to, um, some final thoughts from you for anything that we weren't able to cover that you wanted to speak on during the length of the podcast before we wrap it up. Well, I think I want to return back to the idea of um, equity and inclusion mm-hmm. that I think that this is a very important thing for all horse owners, uh, breeders, and for our industry. I, I was and am involved on local level involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, we have over 200 kids a year that come for field trips at our place and they, and we host sea and Arabian horse day twice a year at our place. So we introduce probably over, over 4,500 girls have come through our facility, uh, in the last number of years, they've all met an Arabian horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, Every year, we have about 300 visitors that come to our facility and take a tour and meet an Arabian horse. I have kids right now this year at Stanford, and they're on the equestrian team, first first in their family to go to Stanford, to go to college. We have kids at Cal Poly Pomona, UC Davis, UC Santa Cruz. These will be Arabian horse owners. Mm -hmm. These will be horse owners. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is a long-term investment in making horses more accessible and equitable. And I'm bringing this issue up particularly because one of our biggest challenges has been being able to find riding instructors. I was a part of the initiative that went forward a couple of years ago in the Arabian Horse Association at convention about allowing something similar to the Canadian program, um, allowing instructors uh, 
to instruct in nonprofit settings, therapeutic settings, disability settings, and not lose their amateur status. Our kids are not out there competing with the trainers, clients at youth nationals. Mm -hmm. But our kids will never be able to have access to a horse if they have to pay 80, 100, $200 a lesson. Mm -hmm. And our program and our kids deserve to have more than an introduction to how to lead a horse, period, end of statement, and now move on. And that was your horse experience in life. But it is so hard. You cannot run a program like this on volunteers. You have to have qualified equestrian people. Mm -hmm. I lost my amateur status by being the director of this program. So when you think about inclusion and you think about equity, you also have to think about staffing. And we deserve not to be penalized to never participate with our own horses again in a USEF sanctioned show or in an Arabian sanctioned show because I'm a director of a nonprofit helping kids have access to horses. You know, the kids mm -hmm. that really have the means to show and want to show, they're going to go to the trainers. They're, they're not going to come and mm -hmm. share boots. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I really like what you said about too. Um, and I think this is really important for where not only the Arabian horse industry, but I think that the equine industry needs to shift their focus in general is the long-term investment of including everyone so that everyone has a chance to have a horse in their life at some point and the return on that. Um, I really liked that, that part you said there. Because I think it's so true. We need to make our horses. We need to make sure that there are um, horses for everybody, not just the few, you know, yeah. back to the roots with horses. Right. That's one piece of the industry. But yes, investing in growing up local level involvement people mm -hmm. into that. Um, so Taking the Reins has a website. And then do you guys have social media where people can find you as we well? Do. We're on Facebook. Uh Taking the rain, you know, just undertaking the reins. We're on Facebook. Uh, and then our website is takingthereins.org, all one word. Uh, reins is R E I N S, like the reins you hold, uh, not a queen reins, but <laughs> um, a lot of people make that mistake, actually. Uh, so takingthereins.org in Los Angeles. And um, Again, we're the largest, I think that we're the, we're certainly the largest ability achievement equestrian program in the state of California. And we're one of the largest in the country. That's awesome. Well, I'll make sure um, all of the links for your website and your social media will be in the episode note description. So people can Great. click on them and then head right to your website to learn more information Great. about taking the reins. Thank you awesome. so much for sharing your program with me today. I had enjoyed learning all about it. It's, I mean, sometimes I wish that I was younger so that I could move to California and do this program because it sounds amazing. And um, I can really tell you're pas so passionate about it and it makes a huge difference in your community. And we definitely need more people that have that passion for, for horses out there. So thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about, about you and taking the reins today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for asking us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay,
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Arabian Horse Connection, the official podcast of the Arabian Horse Association, where we showcase the diversity of the Arabian horse community from industry titans, backyard heroes, and amateur contenders. Do you think you might have content for the Arabian Horse Connection podcast? We would love to hear from you. Please send your suggestions to marketing at arabianhorses.org. We'll see you next time, folks.